It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Eben Brown. We recently spoke with Rebecca Koffler on our special podcast series, The Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. Born in Russia, Koffler is a former senior officer with the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency and is now in private consulting. She's the author of Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, and she's written the foreword to a new book, Zelensky, the Unlikely Ukrainian Hero. Now, we asked Koffler to give us some of the personal backgrounds of both Volodymyr Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky. We hope to learn more about how these men think and how they came to power and whether or not there is a true shift in that power dynamic now that Russia has essentially failed to conquer Ukraine. When we bring you interviews during the week, we often need to shorten them for time constraints. So we thought you'd like to hear more from Rebecca Koffler. So we'll play for you our entire interview with her. Thanks, as always, for listening. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app or at foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, here's Rebecca Koffler on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Rebecca, um, thank you for uh, again for doing this. And we're, we are recording right now. Uh, there are two personalities, I think, that have become certainly center stage uh, in this conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, it is not the American president. It is not the prime minister of the U.K., uh, but it is the president of Russia and the president of Ukraine. And I think uh, you have written a book on Vladimir Putin, and I know you've written the foreword to a book now on uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. But let's talk about Mr. Putin first. A lot of people, I think, for him, uh, he's kind of like a boogeyman, but they don't really know too much about his backstory and how he came up, other than he was in the KGB, which in and of itself is sort of a boogeyman in American culture. But tell me, tell me more about how we got to the Vladimir Putin of today, because he wasn't, wasn't necessarily born this way, you know, <laughs> so something made him into the man he is. And, and you, you'd be the right person to, uh, uh, to, to give us that lowdown. Of course. Uh, thank you for having me uh, on your show, Eben. Uh, first thing I want to mention is that you are 100% correct um, in your analysis that um, basically President Zelensky and President uh, Putin, these two personalities, these uh, and their characters have shaped the uh, current conflict more than any other war, right? If Zelensky were not president right now, then uh, Russia would have overrun Ukraine probably in 48 to 72 hours. And if Putin were not president, um, he would somebody else would have given up already. But Putin does not give up. Um, one of the quotes that I'd like to give that uh, summarizes Putin's character, and that is, if a fight is unavoidable, you must strike first. Okay, his whole character was shaped by three things. Um, his 
families experience in World War II are what the Russians call the Great Patriotic War, in which they lost 20 million people, more than any other nation. Um, then the second one is his KGB experience. And yes, Russian intelligence services and American intelligence services are two different things. The Russians are brutal and there's no sense of morality. Um, and President Putin likely authorized, you know, several assassinations, if you will. Uh, that's the kind of person he is. And also what shaped his um, life experience and his character is the fact that um, he... It, Back in 1989, when the Soviet Union collapsed, Putin was stationed in Dresden, and he was uh, surrounded by a mob of East Germans who were really angry at everything that the KGB has done you know, to their country. And Putin could not get security um, in Moscow on the line, and he was frightened. He felt cornered like a rat, another episode from his childhood. And that is what's made him the man that he is today. He's ruthless and he doesn't give up and he views uh, the West as threat number one. The West as threat number one is sort of interesting to me. I've, I've always been a fan in, in the world of fiction of of things like alternate histories and uh, and the, the story from the other side of of a conflict and how. Uh, you know, we can sort of get a little tunnel vision how, especially if we're if we're the Americans, we're the good guys and we won World War Two. But it's it's very understandable that people, uh, Russian people would say, hey, wait a second, we won World War Two. That's that's a very real feeling to have. They did defeat the Nazis in their own right uh, in 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 the world in World War Two. Um, but he has Putin has sort of taken this one step further, a very dangerous step further. He has. Uh, he is trying to, from I think everything I have read, reclaim a, a sort of a lost glory, something that he feels his people have been robbed of. And this has made him especially dangerous. This is and it's also not new for him. It's just sort of it's it's headline dominating here in the West for the first time. But this has been going on ever since he really came to power, I think. Would would you not say that or, or, or how, how would you analyze that? Absolutely. He has preparing for this for the past 20 years. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Putin's strategic ambition is to basically reverse the outcome of the loss of the Cold War by Russia and restore um, the great power status, something that the Russians um, call Dirjava. Russian exceptionalism is... Um, basically um, part of their national identity. The Russian character, the Russian personality of a typical person is just wrapped up in that uh, sense of glory, sense of exceptionalism, just like Americans believe that uh, we are exceptional. The Russians are the same. And um, uh, truly, if you look at Russia's contribution to um, the world is uh, every year we celebrate, you know, Christmas and uh, 
we watch uh, the Nutcracker, right? Well, that comes from the Russians, the Swan Lake, the uh, Tchaikovsky's uh, Nutcracker. The Mendeleev table of chemical um, elements comes from Russia. The Russians were the first one right. to launch the, the a, periodic uh, table of the elements, you mean. Mendeleev, yes, that's... Uh, yes, yes, it's <laughs> Mendeleev is the one who um, uh, who invented it. Every 10th grader carries it around with them, yes. it's the <laughs> Right, but... Even my own children, Eben, who are American-born, they had no idea that the Russians, you know, invented this. And so, um, so, but most importantly, the Russians also launched the first satellite, a Sputnik, remember, into space, and mm -hmm. the first human, Yuri Gagarin, and the first female. So there are a lot of, and the contribution um, to arts and literature is tremendous. But as you said, you know, the Russians, um, Putin wants to restore that glory because the Russians felt humiliated with the collapse of the Russian Empire. And um, this is what Putin is trying to do. But even more serious um, sort of challenge to the United States is that the Russians have concluded through doing something that we call in the intelligence business um, threat forecasting, which they do very differently from how we do it. They do it 50 years out. So they have concluded through a rigorous process that a war between the United States and NATO and Russia is inevitable. OK, uh, why did they conclude that? It's because um, they have been watching our warfighting style for the past 20 years, and basically every single military campaign that we engaged in, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, Kosovo, and the collapse of Yugoslavia made a huge impression on Putin himself, and especially the, the deaths of um, Muammar Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein. And so... Um, the second point that contributed to Russia's evaluation of NATO uh, being a threat, and they even codified it in, in their official military doctrine and a series of other strategic planning documents, is that with the absor absorption of the Baltics, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, the uh, distance between St. Petersburg, which is the second largest city in Russia, and NATO forces has reduced from the Cold War to today from 1,000 miles to 100 miles. And given that the U.S. and Russian nuclear weapons are still pointing to one another, the flight time also has reduced. And so the Russians look at what um, the US policy has been, and we did have in fact, and still have a bipartisan long-term policy that used to be highly classified. And now it is, you know, it was leaked back in um, 2008 approximately. That policy states that the US will do everything possible to prevent Russia from emerging as a dominant power in Eurasia. So bottom line, we're fighting over the same territory. Um, the uh, the post-Soviet states that Russia views as its strategic security perimeter. Effectively, Putin wants to establish his version of the Monroe Doctrine. And we believe that we need to have those countries be democratic, um, but truly, both sides lie, okay? The Washington establishment is 
just as real politic minded, uh, but it wants to dress up the narrative into the democracy, you know, uh, issue. Even though Ukraine is not a democratic country, it's in no danger of becoming a democracy anytime soon. And we can go into that when I talk about Zelensky. Sure. Um, sure. But that's what um, is just like Putin, you know, created the narrative that he wants to um, denazify and demilitarize Ukraine, even though a very small um, percentage of uh, Ukrainian population, you know, are right, you know, ultra right Nazi oriented. Um, by the same token, Washington say we want to promote democracy. Well, you know, both both sides basically wage disinformation campaign consistent with what their respective populations are going to buy, you know, are going to eat up and what's going to rest resonate with them. So that's the deal. We had an impasse. We're fighting over the same territory. And that is why escalation is very dangerous. We're on the brink potentially of a nuclear war right now. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. There's there's always yin to the yang, and in this case, we have Volodymyr Zelensky, the unlikely president of Ukraine, certainly the unlikely wartime president of Ukraine, uh, who has sort of captivated the world, which they have elevated him to this uh, sort of like cultural and cult hero status. But again, outside of knowing that he was an actor and uh, here in the United States uh, on one of the streaming platforms, you can find at least season one of his of his sitcom show, which to me sort of felt like if you cross the the office with the West Wing, uh, you know, it was it was silly. It made poignant, you know, points, but it ultimately it was a TV show about a, an unlikely president. Uh, and so happens uh, the man portraying that became became president of the country. But uh, let's talk more about Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, this is someone who grew up in the entertainment field. Uh, really, I think, uh, and had set his whole life up to be truly just an entertainer. So how did his life progress? Uh, you, you are the, you're the f- author of a forward for a new book on him, but how, how did we get to the Volodymyr Zelensky of today? Right. He Zelensky has an extraordinary personality. Um, he has been able to literally hypnotize the entire Western world. Um, he's using his exceptional, you know, acting and performing skills to uh, go, to invoke emotions okay this is the actor he's used to uh um he knows how to read the audience he knows what to say which buttons to push and uh it's understandable i mean he is right now at war with an adversary that um overmatches him militarily purely like a military capability forget about all the tactical uh mishaps but the sheer magnitude of russian military ukraine just can't you know match that and yet um he is able to fight back and his main instrument um ever is um uh, is his you know ability to garner support you know we are right now giving 
not only weaponry, but real-time intelligence in uh, to Ukraine, which is unprecedented. Ukraine is not a NATO member. And, uh, you know, we will learn in the future whether it was a good or a bad idea to share intelligence uh, with a country like Ukraine. But regardless, uh, this, this person, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, is a true Ukrainian patriot. And he always became, you know, was a patriot. He wanted to be, uh, when he was growing up, a diplomat. But he was talked out of it by his parents. But his other passion was uh, being an actor. And he did some risque, um, you know, uh, episodes in the, in the book, uh, by the way. Hmm. But like... Uh, like nothing else, his acting skills is has proven exceptionally helpful in this war. He's become a bit of a, a divisive figure, I think, among the uh, the pundit class here in the United States, because some people think that you know there, there's a reason why uh, Europe hasn't totally warmed to him. Uh, but here in the United States, he gets such great applause from from leaders and from from people who read the news. Uh, but ultimately, he is, as the Ukrainian president, doing his job, is he not? I mean, it is his job to defend his nation. It's his job to to secure his nation. It's it's uh, his job to rally others around the world to his cause when the when the time is appropriate. And certainly his country being invaded would would be an appropriate time. So is he doing, by your estimation, anything really wrong by by what he does? It, he is doing most things correctly. He is, the, like you said, as the president of Ukraine, he is pursuing Ukraine's national interests and security interests, um, I would say 99% correctly, okay? And everything is fair in love and war, right? And the right. fact that he's using, you know, his acting skill, putting translators to tears, you know, basically, you know, with his speeches in U.S. Congress and the United Nations, um, you know, British Parliament, all of this is exceptional. Now, the things that are dangerous are the following. He is uh, needlessly poking the bear, um, Evan, and the, because he, I guess, he, just like the Washington establishment, Zelensky cannot stand Putin. He wants to bloody Putin's nose, okay? So he says things like, you know, come and carpet bomb uh, Kiev. Or he was basically uh, during the Orthodox Easter, right? Russian Orthodox Easter. He was kind of uh, berating uh, Putin's faith, which are really, really uh, hot buttons for Putin. And that would just make them him angry. So that is unnecessary. And the second thing that I am not certain if what he's doing is um, is in the interest of Ukraine, right? But only the history will prove, you know, who's right as he's wrong. He is willing to have his country be destroyed in order to save it. And here's what I mean by that. His position right now, the negotiating position, is irreconcilable with Putin's position. 
because Zelensky is so confident um, in his ability to garner support from the United States and NATO, and indeed we see our position uh, hardening right now on Putin. We call Putin a war criminal. We um, call him, you know, which he is. Yes, Putin deserves to uh, to to burn in hell. But all this escalator rhetoric, you know, by Lindsey Graham, who's calling basically uh, to take out Putin. He said, let's take out Putin by supporting Ukraine. All of this is escalatory. It potentially is going to drag us into war, right? But but it gives confidence to Zelensky. And so what's going to happen is more and more Ukrainian people are going to die, be annihilated by Putin. And Putin is, like I said, ruthless. He's a cold-blooded, you know, assassin, if you will. And uh, that's what I'm not sure if that's in the interest of Ukraine, because what Zelensky wants, he wants Putin to completely withdraw his forces from Ukraine and he wants to take Crimea back, which is a fantasy. It's not going to it's not going to happen for the reasons that I explained how um, the Russians view NATO as a threat. And so they will never allow Ukraine to be part of NATO. It's a red line that Putin talked about. And so in this sense, it's basically their head to head um, fighting. And we are in the middle of the American people. Um, but obviously, Ukrainians are being annihilated. But the Pentagon is gleeful because this situation allows um, us to test our weaponry against Russian weaponry, which is a great benefit, but it's a very cynical view. But I'm just telling you how the Pentagon thinks. You're a former defense intelligence officer. Um, We are gaining, uh, when I say we, I mean, obviously, our our military and and other intelligence agencies are getting a lot of information out of this, are we not? I mean, we are seeing uh, uh, we're seeing how the Russians can conduct a war. We're also seeing how they can't conduct a war. Uh, We were probably, I think, a bit surprised to see how bad they've been at it um as a former uh, defense intelligence officer uh were you shocked to see the russian military not as effective as it had been trumped up to be uh or or in the in the in the bowels of the pentagon and at the cia and whatever i mean is this sort of did did we know this uh, all along So the intelligence community was shocked, yes, because Russian military is assessed to be second only to U.S. military and in many aspects rivaling U.S. military capability, right? The Pentagon itself calls Russia as a near-peer competitor, okay? Now, so the tactical mishaps and the tactical ineptness of the Russian forces Um, has been a surprise to Washington. Now, from my perspective, um, I, as as you know, I'm a Russian-born person, so I... I understand the Russian mentality. I understand the Russian warfighting style. So I am not surprised at this because the two styles, uh, blue Blue is what we call the United States uh, and NATO militaries, right? And I participated in dozens and dozens of uh, war games, right? Represent as an intelligence officer playing 
uh, the Red Force, which which was Russia. So I'm very familiar with with the dynamics. But the Russians don't fight like Americans. We are tactically brilliant. Okay, the United States can find, you know, from the intelligence standpoint, we can find the needle in the stack of needles. Remember how we chased down Osama bin Laden and killed him, you know, even 10 years later after he committed his atrocities. But for the life of us, we don't understand strategy, right? We, after 20 years, we withdrew in the most shameful way from Afghanistan, uh, having spent $2.2 trillion of U.S. taxpayers' money, sacrificed 6,000 American lives alone. I'm not talking about allies or contractors or aid workers and those things. So so this is how we do uh, business. The way that the Russians do business is they go after the mission. And um, even though tactically they just completely, you know, incompetent, their command and control is just atrocious. They're just not accurate because they also they, they don't care, Eben, because we usually try to minimize our casualties, especially civilians, right? We can put iron on target with the precision of a surgeon doing, you know, brain surgery, right? Our right. precision guided munitions are just excellent. Um, now, uh, the Russians, they annihilate civilians. That's part of their military strategy in order to put pressure on the leader, the President Zelensky, in this case, to abandon the fight. It's to psychologically like dislodge him and, uh, and, and basically in, incur the suffering, such, such suffering that he will abandon the fight. And um, but if you look strategically uh, where the Russians are today, okay, the primary mission of this operation, what Putin calls a special operation, right, uh, was to prevent Ukraine from becoming part of NATO for the reasons I described. As long as Putin wages this war, even if he turns it into a grinding, protracted battle, right, where he has to feed his own uh, forces into the wood chipper, he achieves his mission. Ukraine is not going to be part of NATO by virtue of not meeting the primary requirement, which is uh, sovereignty and territorial integrity and absence of an active conflict. Okay, so that's uh, Putin's strategic victory number one so far, even though tactically he's losing. And his second strategic victory is that uh, the Russian forces have cut off Ukraine from seaports right now, okay? And which means that they cannot conduct, you know, trade, no exports, and uh, Europe is highly dependent uh, on Ukraine for wheat and other grains. Ukraine is a huge exporter um, of agricultural products, and that is Putin's asymmetric strategy uh, of strangling the Ukraine's economy, and that is just as good and make you know investment unattractive to this country, and that is just as good for him. Um, so that is the tragedy of um, what we're experiencing right now. All right. Rebecca Koffler, you are the author of Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. You have written the foreword to the new book, Zelensky, the Unlikely Ukrainian Hero. You're a former Defense Intelligence Agency officer, and you're now the president of Doctrine and Strategy Consulting. Thank you so much for being with us on the Fox News Rundown War 
on Ukraine. It's my pleasure, everybody. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.